This podcast is brought to you by Glitterati Communications. Learn more about Glitterati at BeGlitterati.com. What's up? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm an artist and a designer and the founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. And this is the Art Pays Me podcast. I love talking to creative people about their business, their successes, their challenges, and how they make the world a better place with their work. Let's get into it. Okay. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Gabrielle Legurier. Uh, Gabrielle, so um, I usually like to start off by asking what people do, but I just want to like list off some of the cool stuff that you've <laughs> done. So you're a Michelin trained chef, which yep. means you're, you are the shit pretty much. Uh, <laughs> you've cooked for celebrities and world leaders. Yes. You've been a sous chef for the royal family, like yep. wild. And uh, you've worked for like five-star hotels, you know, no big deal uh, in Paris, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And uh, <laughs> now you're currently doing Gourmet Gab uh, yes. events, which is a, a pair two company. And that's with yes. your husband, Gabor Bodo, who's a sommelier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I don't know if you want to like add some context to that. Like what is gourmet? What is pair two? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, like I, I said, uh, I love, I love talking about it. So, uh, I'll open the book. Um, yeah. So gourmet gab events by per two is, uh, we're, we're mainly local. So we live in Halifax. Most of our events are in the HRM. Um, but we go kind of across the province as well as across Canada. We just started kind of once the travel restrictions lifted. So we've gone as far as Vancouver with it, but really what we are is um, private dining is the kind of most condensed way to describe it. So we do private events in people's homes or rental spaces. Sometimes it's like the rental space of a condo or something corporate in that, in that realm. Um, But generally we bring, almost like a portable fine dining experience to you. So everything from setting up the table to creating um, one of a kind menus to wine pairings and shaking a cocktail to begin with, all set up and disappears for like a moment in time uh, in your space. And I think one of the reasons why um, it's been so popular and why we love it is that we get to, even though there's one person that we're dealing with when we're planning it, that host gets to be a guest as well. So it's kind of like pampering everybody, including the person that generally is, I know from my experience, when I'm hosting people running around and mm-hmm. making sure everyone's okay, um, they get to put their feet up and be a guest as well. So that's that's what we do full time now. That sounds incredible, man. <laughs> I I have experienced a little bit of the private chef thing when when traveling but uh to to have it set up in your own home and as a host to to not have to worry about any of that stuff uh <laughs> sounds great so the the cocktail part um mm. are you trained as a bartender or is that like how does that all work so basically when it comes to like the drink side that's 100 percent um in gabor my husband's uh, okay. uh, direction so he becomes His passion is more wine than it is as a mixologist or cocktails, but we find there's no better way to kind of kickstart a party than give somebody a, you know, a fancy drink to begin with, and then that lead into the the wine and dine. Um, So we kind of started that as 
a way for, especially with corporate things, or or say you just have a group of friends that don't necessarily know each other that well, or neighbors or what have you, it yeah. kind of gets them to mix and mingle and get into the kind of feel of a, of a fun night ahead um, with a cocktail hour. So every event gets like a, a tailor-made cocktail, usually with the favorite spirit of the host, or let's say their, their favorite amongst friends. Um, we like to use Compass Distillers, which is our favorite um, local company that we collaborate with. And they okay. just make incredible spirits like across the board. So it's easy to promote okay. them and shake things up with Compass. And um, and yeah, and then Gav just thinks of something kind of seasonal or at least on theme with the rest. So one of the big things about kind of Gourmet Gab as a whole is uh, we all like we all like to, to kind of challenge ourselves with novelty um, every time. Um, so it's it's usually it, we never repeat a menu and it's usually theme based. So it could be like, say you wanted Spanish as your theme so that not only is the food style Spanish, but we would start the cocktail that way as well. So, you know, we might do a saffron infusion or we might do like something savory with smoked paprika or, you know, if it's fig season in Spain, you might bring some figs in there. You know, we, we kind of try to do a nod to what's either seasonal in that country or, you know, what's like a mix of local and what's happening in that country at the, at this time. Um, mm. And then Gab tries to follow suit with the wine. Obviously there's not wine produced in every country that we create for, but we try to sure. pair uh, the wine, especially if it's Spain, then we can do Spanish wine. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's cool. So um, you kind of explained it somewhat, but for the folks that have never heard of a sommelier what what does the yeah. sommelier do what are they so you know what like before i was with gab i i knew very little of the world of wine and um he's really opened uh, well just opened my mind to all of the possibilities with what it is what it means to be a sommelier so um it's new to me too so oh, okay. for those that are listening and <laughs> that don't know that's okay i didn't know that much as well i knew more about food obviously um so basically a sommelier is a wine specialist i think that's the best way to describe it it's it's kind of like um uh someone that not only educates themselves by either going to school for it or getting you know or educating themselves online or reading a lot about the craft and of winemaking but they also have such a deep love and respect for it that they drink a lot of wine now that that sounds a bit <laughs> sounds like <laughs> an awesome job it is um but it's 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 an, an extensive amount of wine um you need to try um to be able to really talk with a full heart about what a country's specific region tastes like you know to be able to uh. describe like a, a time period of of you know the what the soil style is what the you know why you would recommend that year or that vintage of you know that's so many different levels of knowledge that a lot of wine needs to be consumed a lot of winemakers need to be kind of talked to and about and um it's uh it's a really wonderful world because um you're just constantly learning and it's a really really old job if you think about it because wine yeah. making is just like you know the history is very very extensive and expansive so you know there's a lot to learn from you know in Gabor's case he's Hungarian his great 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 ancestors and what they did and what was passed down and 
how sometimes some wineries are still family run, like, you know, hundreds mm. year, of years later. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, he pretty much compliments the food just as much as I try to compliment his wine pairing. So it's a really, I think food and wine are, well, it's a perfect perfect For pairing sure. perfect marriage so we try to <laughs> mimic that i guess yeah and actually um i'm a i'm a dummy because i just kind of realized you're both gab so. yes hence the gourmet gab and you know it's so funny with gourmet gab well i'll tell you a couple of different things one being that um so my first ever email address which i still have to this day is was gourmet girl gab I think no I way. started when I was 15 <laughs> or something. And um, I just liked that it was like a bunch of G's. And I like, I obviously loved food already. So gourmet was fitting. Um, and that kind of stuck um, with me, like thinking of I'm gourmet girl or whatever. Um, but didn't really go anywhere. You know, my career went on and whatever. It wasn't even a nickname. Yeah. But the email address kicked around. And then when we, we moved to Halifax, which was just before the pandemic, um, and, you know, a few months later, um, when we were able to, when we created Gourmet Gab Events, which I can totally tell you that story too, um, it was like, why not call it Gourmet Gab? Because that's fitting, not yeah. only because it's stuck around for so long. I love the word gourmet and gab together, but we're both gab it's just we're perfect in the gourmet world <laughs> so yeah hence why that kind of uh was created and then the per two bit which is only just expanded even further um uh which is exciting um per two is a hungarian word so uh yeah. per two describes when you're um a group of people whether you're you know just acquaintances or complete strangers let's say and um, you're gathering for the first time and you share a bottle of wine. And by the end of like, so to speak, the, the story, this very old kind of medieval story says that by the time you finish that bottle of wine yeah. and you've shared the per two, you are no longer acquaintances or strangers, you are now friends. So you, to share the per two is to share, essentially share that love of wine and then become friends. So it's really, uh, it was really fitting to kind of showcase that and, and, you know, highlight that within our business too, because um, huh. like I said, sometimes people don't know each other that are our events. Yeah. So hopefully the wine helps. Yeah, that's brilliant <laughs> that actually. Yeah, that, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so um how did you I'll, I'll step back where, where yeah. did you actually grow up like what brought you to Nova Scotia and so um I am originally from New Brunswick I oh. grew up in Fredericton yeah I, I was in just in Fredericton what really okay yeah. <laughs> what did you think <laughs> uh I, you know what I liked it um it was I was I'm more of a like big city person but i was surprised it's my first time being in fredericton and i was like there's there's some personality here like yeah. there was i was right next to the art gallery there by yeah. the water and um it was just i didn't get to see anything because i was just there for a basketball tournament yeah but um from what i saw i was i really liked it i i thought that was was good energy there so it, it's good yeah i i i really enjoyed it i think it was a really great place to grow up you should go back um for the jazz festival 
the jazz okay. festival is pretty pretty cool there and uh um you know it's only getting bigger uh they, they had the first kind of big one i guess for a couple of years there this past fall but it's every fall and uh good headliners and you know okay. there's good food vendors and it gets really alive downtown Fredericton so just check it out then yeah yeah actually they had like a giant igloo um and there was live music going on there and I was like whoa even Ooh. in the winter there's like some awesome <laughs> stuff yeah oh yeah I mean it's just uh, it's changed so much since when I when I lived there but yeah there's always yeah. something going on it's pretty cool right um but yeah, no, I, I, I grew up in, in Fredericton and I, I was living there until about the age of 11. And then we moved to Moncton. Okay. Um, and then from there, I went to chef school on the island. And then my postcode kind of changed uh, drastically or like every couple of years <laughs> since then. But uh, but yeah, definitely an East Coaster at heart. And um I loved going to school on the East Coast and I love um, now being back on the East Coast. Uh, and uh, it was kind of only fitting for us to move back home. Um, mm -hmm. We already had a plan to move back. Uh, and I say back. So we were living in England for I was living in England for a decade. And then uh, that's where I met my husband. And so it was kind of just the perfect time to to move back and put some roots in the ground. And it was just yeah. happened to be right before the pandemic, which was even more um well, lucky, I guess, in the end. Uh -huh. So yeah. actually, the last person I just interviewed was living and currently living in London. Awesome. Uh, how was your experience there? I've I've been there once, and um, it was also a, a city that I I really liked. Mm. Uh, also, seems intimidating though, and and uh, kind of big and scary. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I I I don't know if I. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much to say about London. I I think it's um, I always say, and I hope this doesn't make Gabor too jealous, but it's one of the loves of my life. Uh, <laughs> I I really <laughs> feel like I uh, I used to go on dates with London. Like I just I love mm. the city so so much because it's just it's so multicultural. Like that's the one of the most beautiful things about it. And obviously mm. some of that's changed post Brexit, but I. It's what's awesome about it. you hear like 10 languages on one bus ride. And I love it's that. So cool. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that's reflective in, in its food scene, too, which I've always found very exciting. Like, it's like what I try to kind of create um, with with the uh, gourmet events at, at the table, too, is just like I want people to try all kinds of styles of food and ingredients that they don't they're not necessarily aware of. And you can so easily do that in, in London. Like you can have in one day if you want to, I mean, it depends how much you want to eat, but at a market, you know, you could have like Ethiopian breakfast and then you could have like a Portuguese brunch. And then you could go and have like an Egyptian um, second lunch. And then you could go wow. and have like, you know, uh, I don't know, a Lebanese dinner, you know, like you could do whatever you want in, in one day and, and, kind of visit that country through food um and then the same goes for like the arts there and you know music and just everything you know everything cool. that I lap up um so yeah I, I loved London I will always love London um I think if I'm honest one of the reasons that I was kind of extra pushed to move home was uh the decision with Brexit I do feel like that was a kind of a sad thing that happened uh while we yeah. lived there um and things are a bit different now but it's still going to be 
it is one of the most resilient cities in, on the planet. Um, it's mm -hmm. been through a lot and um, through history, and uh, it's cool. It's it's cool because of that. I think that's yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot to, to be said about London. I don't even know where I would begin, but I I, I will lead <laughs> with that. I it's one of my favorite places to have lived, worked, and eaten in my life, and probably nice. will always be. Did you run into any Bermudians over there? Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I literally feel, I feel Gab and I were just talking about this the other day, like our friendship group was, was so multicultural. Like, and I don't, I think we still have, we have some English friends, but yeah. mostly, mostly from other countries. And, um, I, I met, um, well, actually you might know, this is a good chef, uh, chef name drop, but do you know <laughs> chef Jason Howard? You've heard of oh him. i have heard that name yes okay so he is probably the most right now you can you you might know different but i think he's the the most famous caribbean chef i think right now because he's okay. michelin and he's really changing like the well i think he just uses really awesome flavors that are you know and ingredients that are naturally found in the caribbean but he like elevates them to like this really cool level and um yeah. he worked with gab and i and at the hotel that we we met at right. and um we're still in contact with him and he now has gosh i wonder how many followers he has at least a hundred thousand or something like that he's he's just exploding and we're so happy for him because i think that there's just a lot to give with caribbean uh -huh. cooking you know i i feel um, like my mom got me a cookbook by him but because that name is really ringing a bell oh my gosh right. yeah he did he did is it does it have like a purple octopus thing on it ah, i can't remember if not after our conversation today <laughs> i will send you his instagram link and you'll just be yes. drooling all day every day he's he's okay. so cool but uh yeah no yeah we definitely have have friends from from all over and and, and I do like that there is a really strong Caribbean influence in London too. Um, yeah. one of my, one of my best friends, um, this is a good story. Just like an off piece of story. Um, her father's from Jamaica and I did a, a Jamaican, uh, event, I guess a year and a half ago. And so naturally I was calling her and asking her all these little details of what, what I should add, what I shouldn't, what's authentic, what's, what am I doing that's wrong? And yeah, she yeah, said, yeah. listen, I'm going to give you my my uh grandmother's recipe for uh uh what does she go um rice and peas yeah and you can't tell a soul because i'd have to kill you <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna take that to my grave um and so when i served it for these guests i couldn't tell them how i made it i was like i'm not telling you how i made it but i will tell you it's authentic <laughs> nice nice yeah <laughs> That's that's dope. Uh, yeah, I I so I miss that. I really miss that. Oh my uh, so why why did you start the business in the pandemic? So, you know, um, I think part. Uh, okay, so I'll tell you how it started. It started. So Gab and I moved here. I moved here a month before the pandemic. Gab got here a month later. So okay. he was, you know, sort of saying to his his brother and and tying things up in london um a month later so he arrived a week before borders closed so our introduction into um 
Halifax life was very, uh, very different as it would be for anyone moving during that time. Sure. Um, and uh, so uh, we were definitely out of work for a good, good month, good few months, we'll say. Um, and just all the things that we had planned to start up or, or jump into weren't available to us in, in the hospitality world. So oh. um, we had a one-off phone call with a family friend who said, you know, okay, this was in August, 2020. So this is the beginnings of Gourmet Gap. Um, he said, you know, it's my girlfriend's 40th birthday. Um, we want to have 10 people over, it was 10 or 11 people over and do like a, a gathering, you know, it's, I really did want to do a big birthday party, but we want to do something at least with her, you know, 10 or 11 friends. Um, and I think at the time there was not really many restrictions, but you couldn't sit more than five at a table in, in restaurants. So they yeah. were like, how can we make this work? And so like, we're looking at ideas and we thought we'll reach out to, you know, family friend, that's a chef and the sommelier, you guys could maybe do something for us or know someone who could and said, you know, would you consider us just hiring you for the evening and you just cook us like a couple dishes or three or four course meal and, um, you know, gab pair some wine. And we said, well, let me look at my schedule wide open. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Super wide open. And, um, we did it and it was so much fun. Um, and afterwards they sat us down and said like, okay, come have a glass of wine with us. Like, let's, let's talk about this. You guys need to make this a business. And I was like, <laughs> uh, all right. I don't, I mean, I guess, I mean, why not? And, you know, and we went home and talked about it further and, you know, Gab and I met working at, at the Kona hotel in, in Mayfair. So we had worked together, but not like really close together, just, you know, in different departments within the same largish boutique hotel. Um, so we knew it, that it would work. But we were like, is this, you know, is this going to work all the time together? Sure. And we, it excited us both. And we were both just really um, looking forward to being in total control creatively sure. um, as well. And um, just having our own, you know, business baby. And, uh, and so from that event, a few of the guests called us and booked us again. And I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. Um, and then from there, a few more, and then from there, a few more. And, um, you know, it was weird growth. Like, again, just like any business that would have been created the past few years, it was going, going, going to a halt, going, going, going to a halt. So we never really yeah. could see like, what is this working? Is this not like, you know, but we were just so thankful to have something that we love to do during such weird times. And, um, yeah. and it, and it worked within restrictions too, you know, when we get, you know, we can only have 10 people that it's like eight people events plus us coming in doing our thing, you know, and, right. and working that way. And, and I think, uh, in some ways it made us busier than, than restaurants in the sense that people were more comfortable just having two people in their home than going out in the, you know, so it worked for us for, for the entirety really of it. Um, and, uh, and then we thought, okay, when things open up again, then maybe people are going to be like, nah, let's just go straight out to the restaurants. And and people do, and, and we're happy because, you know, who mm -hmm. doesn't love a good restaurant? But we're still, you know, we, we went from one event a month to now we do four or five a week. So it's uh, it's uh, been That's on cool. the up and up, and we're very thankful for it in, in every way. So how does it work? So I would say 
um we would like to have do you have a, a set menu or do i like have an opening to suggest i would like these meals or this food and okay so let's like, say so let's just say that you're okay let's say you're just thinking about it so then you yeah. you would just you would just send me a message and say like want to know some information then we just send you the information la -da -da. let's say you're like okay it's my friend's big birthday next uh, let's say next month on this day are you available we check for available we, you know, yeah. we do the date thing then um what we would do is uh i would send you once we've locked down the date i would send you a long list of questionnaire like a like kind of i think it's about 12 questions it's called the introductory questions and they would be like uh how many people you know basic questions like how many people you know where is it da, da, da. but then more detailed questions like what do you like what do you not like um mm. what is your theme for the evening and then brackets you know are a theme could be your favorite country or a country that's important to you or a time in history that's exciting or your favorite movie or like literally as abstract wow. as you want so that's where you know so fittingly art comes into play i feel yeah um and then um and then also after that's like do you want cocktails do you want wine do you blah, 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 blah. so anyway what i would then do with that information when you got back to me is i would create two menu options for you so let's say you chose four courses so eight options you can swap them or you can pick one just as it is yeah and that would be designed so that everyone at the table let's say you have one friend that doesn't like onions the other person's vegan and blah blah, blah. then i would make it so that very seamlessly everyone's happy at the table um, the, maybe the only thing that I ever swap is say you only have like one vegan friend. I might just like swap the protein for them, but they have the same looking plate, same description, same history. They feel like they're fully in, in, included. You know, it's very, very inclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the same with wine. Now all of our events come with wine because it's just the pairing itself. But if you yeah. had one friend who doesn't drink or one friend that's pregnant or what have you, doesn't, you know, doesn't want alcohol, then we would have an alcohol free option for them. So it just means that everybody gets to do the same thing and it feels right. that they get the same experience, but it would never be repeated. So it's like, let's say you chose uh, food from Bermuda or an evening about Bermuda. Yeah. Then I would create that menu based off of those friends and that night and that celebration, but no one else is ever going to get it ever again uh -huh. um which means it's really fun for me because i never i don't i love being a chef and i love restaurants and hotels but you do need some menu items that are going to be there for the people that want them again and i'm even someone who's like that you know sure. i just went for lunch at the canteen i go for a crobster every year like i every love time. a crobster <laughs> you know and i don't want it to change so i get that you want repeat things but with gourmet gab you go back for a different experience every time. So it you just go for a different reason. Like you want mm. you want your crops or you get your crops, but you want to have a different country every time, a different menu every time, a different journey every time than you you keep booking us with the same group or a different group. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of so, how it works. So that's a fun challenge for you to say, okay, I've never produced this type of meal or this country or whatever and you can go do some research and tests and experiments and yeah get creative however you're gonna find this really strange i don't test anything oh really nothing <laughs> no um <laughs> no. i like to make it extra hard for myself um i yeah because uh 
some of the jobs that I had, um, particularly my last job, I didn't know the recipe. I would walk in and have to do it, or I would just have to, I'd have to create that within a limited amount of time for whatever amount of people it was. And so I kind of got addicted to that novelty. So it's just about, it's kind of, you know, maybe, maybe let's say you wanted, uh, I don't know, Biff Bourguignon or something for a French event. I love yeah. Biff Bourguignon. I can, I, that menu, that, that recipe is, is like branded in my brain because I love it so much. But um, let's say I, I couldn't remember the recipe. Then I might just scam, like scan through like a, a few recipes in my books or online and then get some inspiration or some kind of vibe on how to, how to create it a little bit. Um, but then I just kind of do it on the night for them. Um, mm. And I feel like um, that's, where it's art yes um because um the kind okay how, how can i start this so i've always loved art i grew up in a very artistic family i was in like intensive art in high school really okay. i'm like a, as a lover and a and a doer i love it um yeah. but i've been a frustrating student since then <laughs> because i remember for example my art teacher being like if you're doing um like still like if you're doing like a a painting of of the ocean you need yeah. to do the horizon line first and then you build from there and i was like no no <laughs> i'm not doing the horizon line i'm gonna do everything then the horizon line they're like that doesn't make sense and that you know it wouldn't it would because i creatively um I feel like when it's coming out of me, it's not coming out of me by the book. It's, it, it can't, cause then it just, at least for me, it, yeah. it can't necessarily be a strict recipe. It has to feel fluid. Um, and uh, so in that respect, I, I feel like I'm painting when I'm cooking. Like yeah, it's I get like, that. it's gonna come out the way it does in that moment. And I'm gonna, not time how long I'm going to caramelize the sweet potato. I'm going to look at it and know it from smelling it and touching it and feeling it. And, you know, and then mm. I might change how I'm plating it. Cause I feel like changing how I'm plating it in that moment. And you know, that, that that's, that's where um, I allow, I guess I kind of allow people to dictate the colors I paint with because it's the uh -huh. ingredients they like or don't like. Um, but then the rest is up to me, I guess. So I'm right. never, I'm never bothered if someone says I only like yellow and green. I'll do yellow and green because I like all the colors. Yeah. But I'm, I'm gonna paint it however I feel inspires me, kind of thing. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That and I agree. I, I, I definitely think that there, that is an art form for sure. And, and that's where the magic always is in art. Like the mm -hmm. fact that you can break the rules per se <laughs> yeah I think so too it's not it's not to say that I don't love like some like some artists I I do love are like a little more like yeah. um regimented or I don't know however you want to explain that but um it's just not how I express that mm -hmm. you know like some of my friends that are incredible pastry chefs they have they they're measuring everything and it's very to the and that's why to me I'm more of a savory chef than I am a sweet chef because I I think um I love both yeah. but I like creating more um in a less uh 
measured way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think I, I kind of cook that way too. Like half the time I make something and I, I can't remember how I made it. If, if it's good. And like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And like my mom will say, can you give me a recipe for this thing that you make that I like? And she's like, Oh yeah, it's just like a little bit of this stuff and a little bit of that stuff. And you know, you just, mm. just don't add too much water. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Not too <laughs> yeah, <much>. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I feel like um, we all, so I also do master classes. Like I teach people as well. Cause I yeah. love, I love teaching as much as I love cooking. And that's what I, t- it's confusing at first, but that's what I teach my students too, is that um, I can teach you a recipe, but you could look up a recipe anytime and follow it. Yeah. I'd rather give you the tools to feel like confident that like, I don't know why sweet potato keep I clearly need to eat sweet potato for, for, for dinner tonight. <laughs> sweet potato was like top <laughs> of my mind. Let's say like I'm not gonna say every sweet potato needs to be baked for 20 minutes at this temperature. Cause this is I don't know how old your sweet potato is. Like I don't mm. know how big your sweet potato is. I don't know what like you know, there's so many things that could change. And I, I feel like I want you to just know what it looks like when it's ready or when it's yes, you know? Yep. Um so that that that's uh and that gives them the tools to like cook how they want to cook kind of mm-hmm. because um i think one of the most hilarious so when i worked i worked i was senior teacher at the jamie oliver cookery school and i was teaching a lesson that was like steak mastering the perfect steak i think it was called yeah and I so that. i have a yeah <laughs> who doesn't love good, <laughs> yeah okay well you know what you got my uh, details yeah, now yeah um <laughs> So yeah, it was a hard one in the sense that it wasn't our most complex lesson, but it was hard to kind of get through to people that there's no direct way of cooking a perfect, like you can't say to everyone, it's a sirloin, that's 10 minutes in the oven. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it depends on how you like it. And then Uh also what you're, where you are, what the quality of the meat is, you know, is it dry age, is it wet age, is it like, you know whatever like are you spicing it are you marinating it like there's just like so many things that could affect the cooking time and the result but just giving people the tools to go like I know I like it like this this is how I'm going to get it how I like it so that's so personal particularly with snake there's something so personal about steak yes I think compared to like so many other types of meat um that uh yeah it was hard to get past that and explain that to people but uh eventually when you would tell them like the doneness rule you know um and what it feels like when they get mm. the feeling of it then then hopefully it clicked but so i'll ask some of my students <laughs> i'll ask one question and you can tell me if this is something i that, that i have to pay for for this information and yeah to, and it, I'm, I'm okay with you not answering it um but is it possible to prepare a great steak with cheap steak I mean, I mean, just depends on your definition of great, right? Like I, okay. Mm. One of the things that I love the most about, I sound like a politician, so I don't like looping right around the question. Or <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I am being direct. I'm just not a very, <laughs> I'm a long winded direct person. Um, uh, what, what we're now I've lost my train of thought steak. Yes. Yeah, so I, mm. one of the things that Jamie Oliver used to say and what he, like what he told us to say too. And, and I really, really believe um it's like uh do the best with what you can afford um Mm -hmm. and um so i i as a chef i kind of um i preach like high welfare high quality meats 
Yeah. Just because of um, well, lots of different reasons. I think I think if you just stick to the flavor profile, there's a better flavor. So you're you're just getting a better flavor out of mm. um, high quality meat. Um, and then you know when you want to talk about sustainability, then that's a whole other level. And then if you want to talk about animal welfare, then that's a whole other level, right? But yeah, um, unfortunately, depends on the country. Mm. Okay. We'll talk about Hungarian meat in a minute, but um, let's say in North America, um, you have to pay more money for higher welfare. And um, with the, the farmers that I use and love, um, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to take a pay cut essentially as a chef um, uh, to support that. Not only because I know my customers are going to be happier with the flavor, but I'm going to feel more confident in, mm. in what I'm serving and, and can back it confidently but I also know the cost that goes into raising an animal well. So then I know why it's that price um, and feeding the animal well and all that sort of thing. But that being said, I think when you cook with love, it doesn't matter how expensive the ingredients are. Let's just kind of forget the the meat. If you were to taste a, an ex expensive Wagyu versus, you know, a quick, quick butchered uh, piece of steak. Sure. Without that direct contrast, no, the, the the short answer is no. I think you can you can definitely create um, something delicious with love if you season it properly and you give it a nice sear, and you yeah. give it a nice rest, you know, and you yeah. have your favorite sauce with it. That's delicious. Like you're gonna love it, right? And yeah. uh, and I just think food is is personal too. Like uh, there's things that we love that not everybody loves, and sometimes those are our favorite things. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, I was just saying to a client the other day, because we often get asked, like, so you must eat like this delicious at home all the time. Like, no, we're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> we're quite casual at home. And I'm yeah. so lucky. Gab's an incredible cook. He does a lot of the cooking at home because uh, I'm, I'm usually pooped after. But <laughs> <That's> um, so <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Although I'm not pouring enough wine for him, I guess. I think I need to, you know, step up <laughs> supporting there on that end. But um. Uh, I still love like craft dinner. Like, I think like people we like, you must never eat. And like, I grew up, like I, I had this sneaky thing added to my craft dinner when I was a child, which is frozen peas. And I think it was like my parents just trying to sneak a little veg in there. Yeah. And now I can't have it without frozen peas. So I am <laughs> a craft dinner lover with some frozen <laughs> peas in it. No milk, extra butter. That is how I do it. And I think that's delicious, you know, so it's like, you know, uh, it depends on your, 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 how you grew up and your palate and all kinds of different things. But one yeah. thing's for sure, food is, is I think a form of self-expression and a form of at least the way I like to look at it. And I certainly know that Gabor and his family feel that way is um, it's a uh, giving love to people when you're cooking mm -hmm. for them. So you can taste that yes. even a cheap piece of meat, like someone put their love in that you know yeah so yeah, yeah. that's my very long-winded no but I, I i like that because sometimes i feel like you know i've knocked it out of the park with a cheap steak and <laughs> other times i'm like no that wasn't so great but i did something right that time. yeah and that's <laughs> and like probably... you maybe are feeling it yeah 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 so i mean you've talked about being a kid and, and being creative and artistic uh yeah. did that translate to the kitchen early on too 
So I, okay, I grew up, um, my dad was the main um, cook in the household uh, uh, when I grew up and I um, was so fortunate because he's a major foodie and mm. he would feed us things like borscht and like tagine wow. and like, you know, niçoise salad and like way weird things for my friends to come over and eat but like <laughs> I was tasting the world at a young age and I think that helped develop my palate and get me like sure. curious and excited and and um but I wasn't cooking young like I mean I was mm. certainly eating all things my one of my favorite things to eat still to this day let's be honest is pickles but when I was like a two three-year-old it was like mustard pickles eaten in the high chair like I wanted the really strong like acidic things <laughs> that's and, so funny isn't that weird like yeah sour like like you know um but I love those strong flavors and and then funnily enough as well I was always fascinated by the dinner party like mm. the idea of a dinner party so my parents would host a lot of dinner parties and I remember the lights would go down low and the candles were on. It smelt kind of of wine. I didn't know what wine was, but it smelt like that. And yeah. and there was some kind of interesting smelling something probably that we nor normally wouldn't like or he wouldn't feed us or whatever. And and I always thought this is exciting. Like people are getting kind of dressed up. Like there's something like there's like jazz music on. Like something's happening. I'm not invited, and now I really want to go. And right. my dad would save me a tiny little bit of whatever he was cooking in the fridge a little dish of like one shrimp or like one tiny bit of chicken or whatever. And I would mm -hmm. sneak down and I would eat that. I'd be like, Oh my God, that's so good. And then sneak back upstairs. And I was still so curious and fascinated by it, but I didn't really know that I would love the act of it. I knew that I liked art and I knew mm -hmm. I liked working with my hands, but then when I, okay, I'll tell you my epiphany story. Then I was 15. Yeah. And my best friend's mother I went over, I was living in, in Moncton and my best friend still lived in Fredericton and I went to Fredericton for my week of March break. And her mom said, why don't you guys try something different this week? And why don't you do um, a cooking lesson above a, uh, was it Superstore or Sobeys used to do? I think a Superstore used to do cooking lessons upstairs. Oh yeah. I've yeah. done those with my and kids. And yeah. you'll like, you, you this, they're still going on? Yeah. Awesome. Like for birthday parties and things. Yeah. Okay. I'm into that. Um, very cool. And, um, and you'll like this and it was a Caribbean lesson. Oh, no way. Yeah. And it was my first time seeing a woman chef. Now uh, this is like, you know, I'm sure there were woman chef on TV and stuff. I mean, like Julie Child was way before my time and stuff, but mm -hmm. I, it wasn't as like on the TV as it is now really the only like person and later as a later teenager was Gordon Ramsay eventually and that you know that'll, that'll that, that's a different story but um <laughs> it it was like I never thought about being a chef because my dad was the cook and uh, most right. households it's the other way around but for me it was like all that I'm seeing on tv is men that are chefs at home yeah. it's a man me like too, well, right? I <laughs> like that oh, oh this can happen and and she was like opening an avocado with the knife like you know taking the stone out like doing all these tricks and I was like ding I want to be mm. you like literally that was like you're the coolest woman on the planet I want to be you like I could I, I could I could I be you kind of thing mm -hmm. and um I left that lesson not only so excited about what we learned and everything else but just like with this full determined thought that 
as soon as I'd finished high school, I'd go to the Colorado Institute of Canada. Like, that's it. That's like job done. I've found my calling. Um, and I never looked back. Wow. Like, that's, it gave me chills a little bit. Like, just that idea that, uh, you know, a 15-year-old could just see that possibility model and just say, there it is. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's why exposure is so important because like you see, you can see yourself in, in like, I think that's one of the best ways to, to motivate young people is like just seeing, seeing it, like just knowing yeah. that it could be possible. Like that just, that's what clicks the most. I think it's like, mm -hmm. just rather than reading about it or, you know, just like actually seeing or meeting someone that's doing something like that. Maybe you didn't even think you could do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely that was the beginning of it honestly cool. i wish i knew who it was because i would thank them <laughs> but i do know that that summer i went to visit the culinary institute of canada which is in charlottetown pi i was i guess maybe 15 and a half at the time and uh i did a tour of the school and the uh head she had teacher back then yeah i guess she was the head teacher she gave us the tour and she said, there's something, there's like a twinkle in your eye. Like there's like something like you have the passion there. Don't want you to ever lose that. Like mm. you, you need a whole, I can't wait to see that again. Like in a couple of years when you're, when you're coming here and sure. Uh, lo and behold, a couple of years later, I went to the school and, and I was sitting down and she was kind of walking through the classroom and introducing herself to the new students. And she said, Oh, I remember you. I remember those eyes. And she said, don't ever lose that. And, you know, surely I didn't understand at the time, like, what does that even mean? Like losing something, like I couldn't even think, but you know, it's a, it's a really hard industry. And, and, mm. and after our first year, I think only 40% came back or, or was it 40 or six, let's say 60% came back after the first year, like there's an internship between the two years. Yeah. And then um, of our graduation class, I only know of maybe 20% that are still chefs. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't just the hard, hard time of the pandemic. That was just even before that, just the, the intensity of what it is to work in that environment. But I loved it. I've always loved it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the show, that, but there's a show that is popular right now that everyone talks about and says that it, it's kind of a good representation of, oh, what is that show? I oh, The yet. Bear? That's the one. Yeah. yeah that's Do you watch that? Be, I haven't watched it yet, but my dad has told me lots about it and uh, mm. it's supposed to be very realistic. And I'm always excited when there's a show that really captures. Yeah. Just captures that world. Yeah. I think, I think Anthony Bourdain was really good for our industry because he really showed the world, the positive and the negative of sure. everything food related. Yeah, I, I think there's more negative than there is positive out there. So I, mm -hmm. I like to see that there's, yeah, there's different ways to showcase what it is to be a chef or what it means to be a chef. And, um, you know, I started out uh, in the time where Jamie, or not Jamie, Elber, uh, Gordon Ramsay was in his height, height, like it was 20, <laughs> you know, 2010, like he was like, so cool, like Hell's Kitchen was right, like, right, right in its prime. And, you know, he was he still is a Michelin chef. Like he still, his restaurant was the first Michelin restaurant I ever went to in London. Three Michelin star uh, in Chelsea. 
And um, so he still has some incredible restaurants out there. But I started out wanting to be like him, even though mm-hmm. she was, you know, my epiphany moment. I wanted to be like him because he was the coolest, right? Yeah. And um, my dad said to me, you don't need to be like like a Ramsey. You should be like Jamie Oliver. You don't need to be a mean chef. You could be a nice chef. And I rolled my eyes because I was like <laughs> 18, 19. <laughs> and uh, as you do. And and lo and behold, you know, I ended up working for Jamie Oliver. And I, I think he's one of the, well, he's highly rated, but I think he's one of the most underrated as a chef chef. Like he's more seen okay. as a celebrity chef because I don't know anyone else who makes people want to cook as much as he does like he just makes you want to go in the kitchen and do that and and everybody and he makes it fun and approachable and kind and educational and Mm. so my career started like that and it just looped back right around to dad gosh you're right (laughs) Uh, they're always right (laughs) the parents they know some (laughs) yeah and so even though you know gourmet gab events is fine dining and i've worked in a lot of really intense serious kitchens I mean, you know, after, you know, 45 minutes talking to me, I, I, I think one of the most important things to share in the kitchen environment is like enthusiasm and passion and excitement and, and love for mm-hmm. the craft. And you can't do that while, you know, yelling and throwing pots and pans. You can only right. do that through just making it contagious that you're, you're in love with what you do and making yourself approachable as a chef. So, yeah. So I got so many things to pick from that. The Michelin trained chef thing, mm. like I, I, as my understanding is not all chefs have that designation. So yes. how do you get that? And like, what makes it so special? So um, I think the best way to compare uh, being a Michelin chef is, so you can be a Michelin star chef or a Michelin trained chef. I'm a okay. Michelin trained chef. Cause I never, I've never owned or been head chef of a Michelin restaurant. I've just uh, worked in a Michelin restaurant. So I'd be okay. trained rather than starred. Um, although, you know, who knows down the road, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the best thing to compare it to is like Oscar nominated or Oscar winning. Okay. Okay. For a movie to get to the Oscars, it does need to be an excellent movie. Do all excellent movies go to the Oscars? No. Ah. Uh... Yeah. And so a chef doesn't need to be Michelin trained or a Michelin star to be an excellent chef at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't have the opportunity. Sometimes they don't even want to. It's that I think if you were nominated or winning an Oscar or nominated, or I mean, trained or, or starred as a, as a Michelin chef, you've sacrificed a lot mm. probably for that role. We'll call it a role. Yeah you've done a lot of hours, you've uh, worked in harsh conditions, you've probably done very repetitive tasks just for the finesse of it, you've probably learned really challenging recipes, you've probably had to, uh, had a list of things to do that is longer than physically, humanly possible. You know, there's a lot of things that are really brutal about that environment, but what it does say to me if someone says they worked let's say longer than six months in a michelin restaurant is that they must love it like they Mm. must love being a being a chef if they did that 
and um, I also think that they probably wanted to learn from the best in order to do that. Again, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they haven't learned from the best not, but I think that it just, if I read that, that's what that means. It doesn't mm. mean that I think they're better than, it just means something. It's a certain just uh, credibility that is built into it in a, in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's, uh, and it's interesting because uh, Anthony Bourdain talks about that and other chefs have talked about that. Marco Pierre White was given stars and he gave them back. He didn't think they were important. Mm. And, you know, so there's, there's chefs over the, people have strong opinions, even on the Oscars, you know, of, of anything sure. that's of that, yeah. right? And, and, and there, there is, there's controversial things in, in anything. Um, mm. But I think uh, that's the way I look at it. And that's the way I would perceive it. I mm. wouldn't judge someone solely on that, but I would think I would know something about them. No, I think that was a great way to explain it. it. Makes it makes so much sense, and I feel that way about art school versus not going to art school. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, people are like, well, do you need to? Do you not need to? Yeah. It's like you don't need to, but yes. at the same time, there is a certain credibility yes. that's built in it. But you could be a fantastic artist and yes. be completely self-taught. So yeah, and and that also shows like sometimes the opportunity or the financial means or you know, and I, yeah. I feel the same with shop school too. You can work mm -hmm. your way up. You don't have to go to chef school. However, I loved chef school. You know, like mm -hmm. I loved that experience because it was going, it was like probably like Harry Potter going to your yeah, In your world with your, your people. I was in my world. Yeah. Yeah. I was in my world, but it wasn't necessary. It's not necessary mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you um come across Jamie Oliver? Like how, how did that happen? So it's funny. My first kind of, connection to him we'll say uh was i worked in montreal i worked at a, a restaurant called maison publique yeah and i i finished two years in london and i that was when i was working michelin and i came back to canada and because my visa was over heartbrokenly i moved back to canada because i had to leave my then boyfriend now husband behind <laughs> um so i was a very sad girl in montreal when i worked, oh, no. when I worked at this at this uh, restaurant um, called Maison Publique, which is has a lot of things that are similar to Bar Kismet, if you know Bar Kismet. So it's small mm. plates, really punchy flavors, and, uh, you know, using a lot of interesting Canadian products and um, kind of a little nod to Italian style. Kind of, so it's very kind of similar. Um, mm. But the cool thing about Maison Publique is they did everything from scratch. And that's why I went to work there. I went to work there because they would do their own chorizo. Like they were curing their own meats. They were smoking their own fish. They were like, you know, there was a lot of hands-on whole animals, butchery, like a lot to learn from scratch. Mm -hmm. And a lot yeah. of cool Canadian things to, to get your hands on too. Sometimes we were using game meat, which I had never really done before mm. um, and, and things like that. So I really enjoyed that. Um, little did I know that the uh, head chef, uh, Chef Derek Denman, is best friends with Jamie Oliver. <laughs> oh, and hey. actually he forwarded his cookbook. Jamie did, forwarded his cookbook to tell their story of meeting. And he, like me, went to London, did his two years, wanted to you know, work in, in amazing restaurants. And on his last night of his visa, he went to eat at Jamie Oliver's Restaurant 15. And... Jamie was working the past at the time. So it was, you know, when he was a lot more in, in his restaurants and, and uh, he said, hi, and thank you for, 
for everything at the end of the night. And he said, why don't you jump in and help us? Or like, why don't you do a one last trial shift? We call them or stagiary. Some people call them too, like a free, free working experience, basically in the yeah. kitchen. So yeah, why not? We got nothing to do tonight. Why don't I do that? Jamie jumped in, helped him on the line, loved working with them so much that Jamie on the spot offered him pretty much a, a way to sponsor his visa and have him stay. And so he never took that flight and he stayed in London and he, and he worked his way up at 15 and actually became the head chef of 15, um, wow. which was an incredible, do you know about 15? No, it's basically a restaurant that he started um, in uh, East London. And uh, it was mainly to build up uh, youth that were kind of going down the wrong path in life. And rather than, sort of kind of giving them something to be excited about and passion and a career and a way to learn the trades of being a chef through working at the restaurant it was like an internship that would mm -hmm. then they would get hired at other restaurants or they could stay on and 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 work there and and it was a really successful way to train chefs and and help these these young boys and girls and it was an awesome it no longer exists but it was an awesome thing that he did um, and that's, yeah, that's 15. And I, it was because the age, the starting age was 15. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so that was how he 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 met Derek Denman. So then Derek Denman came back to Montreal and uh, was settling down and opened Maison Publique. And obviously, who was there on his opening night with Jamie Oliver, his best friend. And, and you know, they've, they've stayed in contact and they're really close still. But I didn't know that when I worked there. I just kind of found out through him at some point. And then... I moved back to London and I, and I followed my second passion, which is teaching on a yeah. whim. I, I applied to the Jamie Oliver cookery school, which at the time wasn't even open yet. And, um, they said, sure. Why don't you come in trial for us? Let's see if you've got the, the charisma or the, like, or you, do you have the personality for that? And if you can cook and talk at the same time and all that. And <laughs> so nervous, like you, like I, I like to talk, but talking, cooking is a whole other thing when you've not done that before. Um, I was shaking and I did, I did my interview and I plated this fish dish. And anyway, I, I guess they liked me. And, and then they hired me as with, you know, coming from a Michelin background as, a, as a senior teacher. And lo and behold, uh, I was working for Jamie and met Jamie and, uh, was like, you know, working alongside him when I was training and, um, did a lot of, uh events with him and and told him about Derek and he was sending a selfie of us over to Montreal and vice versa so you know it's a small chef world <laughs> wow that's so cool yeah <laughs> uh man I don't want to take up too much of your time I still have a few things I would like yeah. to ask you yeah so what do you do for fun what do I do for fun eat <laughs> <laughs> I eat. I love eating. Um, yeah, I go to restaurants. I am. I, uh, what else? I love traveling. I really love traveling. I'm lucky cause I'm married to a European. So I have to go to Europe every year, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I love, I love traveling. I love meeting people from different countries. I love creating art, like painting. I'm, I'm into painting. I'm, I'm taking ceramics classes right now. Oh, cool. Anything with my hands getting dirty, I'm a fan of. Hmm. Ceramics is so much fun. So that's like my new 
okay. so much fun. Like the wheel is like, you have a love hate relationship with it. It's like, this thing uh, is making my life harder and easier all at once. It's yeah, it's really, it's really fun. And, and I find ceramics are really interesting because there's so many different, I guess, much like cooking. There's a lot of different ways that that can go wrong. Mm. And that's why it's so cool when it turns out, because it's like, oh my gosh, you didn't crack. You didn't chip. You didn't look ugly after I, after I glazed you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these different things are kind of lined up for it to go horribly wrong, but it, it uh, sometimes works out in the end and it's pretty magical. And it really makes you appreciate ceramics as a whole. Like you're holding a plate and you're like, this took a lot of concentration and probably a few backaches. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cool. So what would you say is, I mean, we've talked about, I guess, some of the challenges uh, mm. as a as a chef, but um, as a business, did you find, I mean, what what would you say was challenging about getting started? Oh my gosh. I think any small business owner is like, it's so many things, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, you would know this as well. Like it's, <laughs> it's like so exciting and so <laughs> overwhelming all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do, so much to learn. This is exciting. Like you're Mm -hmm. never, you never stop learning, which is really awesome. I think for someone that like needs that sort of stimulation, I like find it really, really interesting. Um, But at the same time, it is, it's a lot. I think that there's a challenge in itself, just running a business and, and, and wondering like, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? I think, especially with social media, I think, Mm. um, it's like, do I post this? Do I not post this? Am I, <laughs> is this the tone I want to like, you know, it, I, it's a wonderful thing. I, I love social media. There are people I follow that I honestly, I'll refresh their page. I'm like, man, I hope they post something. I just love their content so much. <laughs> so it's a wonderful thing, but it, it's also, it's a lot of pressure for um, businesses this year. It's a great tool, but it's also like, you know, sometimes we'll do events. And I love the the food and, and, and maybe the guests love the food too. And then I'm like, but I got no good photos of it. Like the lighting was oh, super wrong. I like, know. you know, and it's just like, so <laughs> did I even do an event or like, does my, do my, th- does the food even look good? Like, because you don't have the photo being reflective of that. And, and food photography is so challenging. Like we've, we've been really lucky to collaborate with some local photographers who just know what they're doing but it yeah. oh kudos to them because it is challenging particularly with dim lighting yeah and also you have hot food right and it needs to go out and for us um we don't really do like photo shoots of a like a lot of restaurants will do a photo shoot of a menu make one of each dish and even if it's going cold they're getting like tons of content tons of good photos for us it's like okay you have five seconds to get the photo of that pasta i need to give it to the customer <laughs> like, needs to go so i was like <laughs> and then out, you know and then same with the wine i mean i guess the wine it's less of a, of a pain because if we're topping them up we could pour one to get a photo and you know but yeah it's uh it's juice and the cocktails it's like the, those are the, the the content we get is is active content that's so exciting like it's that's cool it's it's legit when we're seeing it it's it's real yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely real stuff. Yeah, real food. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that actually that makes it more like I, I was looking at all the photos on your site. And like that just makes it more exciting, actually, to, oh, to, to know you. that. Yeah. So 
If there's any advice for someone who wanted to become a chef, what would that you say? Oh my gosh, I love that question. I think that if you if you love food and the act of creating food, um, then you're gonna love being a chef. Like mm-hmm. I think it's just about finding what kind of chef that you want to be. There's that's a great thing um, and and a difficult thing to choose which kind because there's so many different ways that your your career could lead you. So I I would definitely say to a young chefer, you know, any someone any age that just wants to come become a chef is is uh, try out different kinds. Like go work in a hotel, see if you like that. Go work in a restaurant, see if you like that. Try a private dining company, see if you like that. Try working uh, uh, at a hospital, see if you like that. Try working for uh, a corporate place, you know, try all these Mm. different things to see like what made you feel the like awesome when you got home. Like what, what did, what made you the most excited? And then what chefs do you want to learn from? I think there's, there's a lot of chefs out there and their style and their, I mean, there's just so many people that are doing cool things and especially in this city. And I think it's just who has the time to teach you and who, whose style are you most eager to learn? And, Hmm. uh, but it is, um, a great thing about being a chef is that when you look at a CV personally, if I look at the CV of, a, of, of someone or a resume, I'm looking through and I'm going, Oh, they've got, they bopped around quite a bit. That's a good thing. That means that they were just testing wow. it out and trying to learn from all kinds of different people and really trying to figure out what kind of chef they are. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think unlike some other types of, of jobs out there, that's kind of a, a, a good thing that you get to do as a chef is try a try on different hats right see which one uh, looks best cool cool so what's uh what's next for uh gab and uh the two gabs (laughs) so uh what's next (laughs) i mean i we're just we're we're loving still loving what we're doing and and uh you know because everything's so different and we're we're constantly getting new clients it's uh you never know we don't know when we're, where we're walking into. I mean, we have the address, but we don't know what kind of kitchen we're in. We don't know who we're cooking for. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but we we're loving it. Like we're just mm. still, we're still very much uh, enjoying the A to B from the planning to the creating, to the plating and, and all the, the delicious wine and cocktails in between. And so gourmet gab events is still going to be, you know, doing its thing for who knows how long, but uh We've, we've got our first ever uh, event in Montreal in the spring. So we're, we're excited to, to go nice. there to, to do our thing. And, and then Gabor just launched uh per two wine consulting. So we're doing a lot more on the wine side now. So we've started that with a very exclusive wine club. Um, and then we're going to, uh, once we've kind of got our head around that and that's up and running to the best of its ability, then we're going to open that up more to the public too. So cool. uh, we'll be, able to have some kind of like i i call it because my husband's named gabor it's like gabor in a box it's gonna be like a nice (laughs) way for you to take gabor (laughs) home when i still need him but you want (laughs) that sounded weird you know what i mean (laughs) it's like uh, delicious wine and the knowledge and you know we're gonna also put uh really great cheese pairings too in there and um we're collaborating with Cafe Lara for that. Nice. 
really nice because we love to support uh, her and her chef Cameron, who is uh, from he's Bahamian actually. Oh no way! And yeah, so like like him a lot, and he's going to be doing the cheese pairings. Cool, cool, so, cool. You know, we're going to be helping out other chefs as well. So uh, yeah, lots of exciting things in the works and. And we hope to continue this as long as my arms will move and Gabor's legs will move. And yeah. between the two of us, we can keep this working. Nice, nice. Well, congrats. And if uh, people want to uh, book you for an event or book a masterclass, what, like whatever, how do, how do people find you online? Literally, all they need to do is uh, contact us straight through the website, which is perchu.ca. Um, and they just need to... You know, for a masterclass, minimum of two people, or you can have a group of your friends uh, for a sit down dinner, minimum of two people, or you can have 14, up to 14. And then we okay. also have tapas events, which are up to 50. So there's different packages um, available and they're all through a website and all they need is people that are into food, hopefully into wine as well, and have mm -hmm. a date in mind. And the rest we, we plan, bring and create for you. So nice do you buy actually do you buy the groceries or do the i do oh, yeah okay. so we're we use a lot of really wonderful uh local suppliers so we have deliveries from some of the farms and then i have a few pickup points and then the odd time i need to go and, and pick something up from the grocery store but we actually use i would say percentage wise maybe about 70 percent is local for our food wow. and, and um what we put on the plate and uh i only use local meat and I only use um, as much as I can local vegetables. Now, if I'm doing a Mexican theme, I can't really use the avocado. I have to, you know, or if I'm yeah, doing yeah. out of season peppers, then, you know, but uh, I try to keep it seasonal and I try to keep it local as much as possible. And and uh, I'm so lucky that there's awesome farms and suppliers here because it makes my life easier and more delicious. Yes. All right, uh, Gab. So this is this is great. Thank you for jumping on our pays me podcast and being the first chef on the show <laughs> it's a pleasure i'm so glad honestly i hope that the, you even get more chefs because i think it really is an art form and it's a really great fun and rewarding way to express yourself i think so there's lots to lots to be said and goodness knows if we were doing this for another couple hours i could fill the time so i'm sure other chefs could <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much Dwayne. yeah thank you thank you for listening to art pays me thank you to langy beats for the theme music you can find more of his music on youtube if you got anything out of this please rate review or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening you can find out more about Art Pays Me at artpaysme.com or you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. I'm at Art Pays Me on all of those platforms. With that, we're out. Peace.